All right, hello, hello, everybody. Do you? It says we are live. I hope everybody sees us. I think we are. We're back on YouTube tonight, so hopefully we don't have any archiving issues. But uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, one and all, to the final. I mean, this is just something I ca I can't believe, but it's it happened, and it's a wonderful, wonderful time so far. And I'm here with. My co-host, Jay Dyer. Jay, how has your week been so far? Uh, it's been a great week. We've been super, super busy. So we're basically, you know, doing two or three podcasts or videos a day. Um, and then I'm, you know, constantly, basically I'm doing, I'm trying to get to, to one live stream a day. So I'm trying to kick it up. So that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I, I can't imagine doing more than one after all the writing it takes for me to get the seven o'clock underway. But, uh, but that that's awesome. I love listening to every, other people's schedules. Yeah. It's, well, your inspiration, I mean, I know you, you've been doing the, you know, nightly live stream for a good while and, uh, I've been <laughs> thinking I need to work up to that, but you know, we do a bunch of things. So it's, it's kind of like trying to balance it all out and, and I'm trying to do another book and, uh, you know, just, there's just never, it seems like there's always more stuff to do. You never kind of Absolutely. make any progress, but yes. we'll get there. Um, no, yeah, I did enjoy reviewing this, these last few chapters. I forgot how power packed they were with information. Well, let's just, let's just jump into that because we have, we have chapter 16 until the end. And you're right. If it's power packed, I, um, my notes, the way that I have written this is that, uh, from 16, 16, I see that as the Mia Culpa chapter, the reverse Scooby-Doo. You know, when, when you watch a Scooby-Doo mystery, there's always a point there where the kids have figured out what the hell's going on. They unmask right. the person. The person says, oh, I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids, and they admit to everything. Well, this is the reverse where you get so much from Mustafa Mond, but he's not in a place where he's been defeated. He just knows that, oh, I'm... I'm the control. I'm I'm in control of everything here, and I can tell you exactly what we're doing and why we're doing it. It's not going to make any difference, and uh, so that was that's chapter 16 for me in a nutshell. I have some I have some underlying uh, things here that we can get to, and I want to go and bring the audience in too. But um, the reverse Scooby Doo. What do we see here? Ch uh, page 218. Sometimes a thousand twangling instruments will hum about my ears and sometimes voices. The savage's face lit up with a sudden pleasure. Have you read it too? He asked. I thought nobody knew about that book here in England. So he's starting to feel uh, the, the, the hope that floods into the savage whenever he feels like he has somebody to talk to. And it is just one disappointment after another. This, this one in particular with the, with the controller himself asking why these things are prohibited. Why these they why they're so beautiful? It's it's precisely because they're beautiful that they're prohibited. Mm -hmm. So we get all these things clobbered over the head with the 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 control the control. Um, go ahead and talk a little bit about what you have seen. Yeah, one thing I did want to uh, mention that I forgot to mention back in chapter nine <clears throat> was that the central location of the world controller's office for I think what they call Western Europe. He's, Mustafa Mon is the resident world controller for Western Europe. And back in chapter nine, they had stated the location of his office, which is Whitehall. Of course, Whitehall is the central location in London where the powers that be govern London today. So I think he's, again, you know, sending us a lot of clues about the way the world is, is run now even though it's supposed to be, you know, the year 2,500 or whatever, mm -hmm. because Whitehall is where we find, uh, you know, I'm going from memory here because we went to London and I did a talk there uh, at AV9 um, and we walked over by Big Ben and then all around the sort of the government Whitehall area. And I think it's not very far from the big MI6 building, you know, all that sort of within a few minutes walking distance. I think Chatham House, Pratt House, Tavistock, they're all in that area. Hmm. So he's telling you that Whitehall is where the World Socialist Controller Mustafa Mons offices are located because he's telling you that the Fabian Socialist World Order is really run out of out of the city of London, right? Out of Whitehall. So I forgot that little clue there, but um, 
Now, as we fast forward to this uh, next conversation about <clears throat> first literature and then uh, the Bible, this chapter they talk about uh, the arts. And like you said, John the Savage is really surprised because he's finally found somebody that he can have a conversation with that he, he thinks, you know, appreciates good literature. He's going to have a, <laughs> a sophisticated, highbrow conversation with Mustafa Mon. And uh, he can't believe that the feelies, which are these horrible, uh, basically Michael Bay directing porn movies, where it's basically just explosions in porn. And he's like, he can't believe that there's not better quality arts like, you know, Shakespeare's Othello. And Mustafa Mon says, well, nobody's going to understand or appreciate uh, Shakespeare's uh, Othello. And John the Savage is sort of, you know, surprised by this. And he says, well, why can't we have good art? Why, why can't you promote that? And he says, because promotion of good art comes with beauty, freedom, the love of truth, and all manner of things that might upset the existing control mechanism and the existing status quo. So you can't have high art without also having beauty, uh, warfare, uh, nobility, and you can't have any of those things without some notion of uh, pain, suffering, conflict, and all of that has to be done away with. And he says, you understand that the whole purpose of the control mechanism, the whole purpose of some of the whole purpose of their culture creation notice that the movies the music it's all geared towards control mm. and it's all intentionally not aesthetically pleasing there is no high art because you can't have high art and control at the same time the next chapter will say the exact same thing but with theology you can't have god and complete control by the scientific dictatorship at the same time so all of those things kind of begin to dawn as you said on John the Savage, as he has this debate with Mustafa Mon, is one of the most the best chapters in the book. And that you just get all of these explanations as to not a future far off dystopia's control mechanism, our control mechanism today in this world. And the best part was uh, the conditioning explanations. He says, no, so all of this art, uh, excuse me, all the fake art, and then they're gonna get into fake science here in a minute at the, uh, at the end of this chapter. He says the fake art, the fake science controls everybody and keeps them in their place. And he says that, for example, we tried all these things in the past, like experiments where we had an all alpha society. Cyprus, the Cyprus experiment. Exactly. He says we put a bunch of alphas on Cyprus and they just kill each other. <laughs> it's like, so we'll never do that again. He says that we got to have these different casts because that helps to control mm -hmm. and keep order stability. And he says that ultimately the question is about the, the exchange between you can either have a society that's based around the love of truth, beauty, justice, freedom, or you can exchange all that for uh, convenience and ease and happiness. And he says you can't have both. Right. So we opted for a scientific dictatorship based around making everybody feel good, feelies, and so forth. And he says that's the final revolution, and that is the revolution that ends all revolutions by creating a complete uh completely stable control mechanism and that requires the uh, stamping out of free will and by the way last thing i'll say is that that's precisely what bertrand russell talked about right i always cite this and people are like where are you getting this where are you getting this bertrand russell says in impact of science on society that you won't be reading shakespeare you won't be reading the bible when the dictator when the scientific dictatorship comes in and that's why this book says that because they were in the same circles he's telling you why mm. this is why it's yeah, and, and even other things, all the notions of bread and circus are in here too. After the Cyprus experiment is talked about, and they say, and uh, and they're happier below the waterline, happier than above it, happier than your friend here, for example. He pointed out, in spite of all that awful work, awful, they don't find it so. On the contrary, they like it. It's light. It's childishly simple. No strain on the mind or the muscles. Seven and a half hours of mild, unexhausting labor, and then the soma ration, and then games and unrestricted copulation and the feelies what more can they ask for and and it's um and you talk about bread and circus before actually before that right now on the preceding the cyprus experiment on page 223 mm -hmm. it, it they he goes into talking about more social controls that just that that bring up ideas of welfare public education universal basic income automation of work why it's just all uh, it's all that it makes you wonder what's going to happen uh when all of those people are not needed anymore 
completely not needed anymore. Well, did you did you notice the pyramid structure? Is a is a column. Oh, the iceberg, he says. The optimum population, says Mustafa Mon, is modeled on the iceberg. Eight ninths are below the waterline. That is the you know think of an iceberg like a pyramid, and then you have at the top. Uh, and he says all the people below are happy. Those that are above it, uh, those that are below are happy than than those above that are above. And then <laughs> the there are actually I'd forgotten about the the breakaway civilization island section because there are actually people that do uh, wake up and figure out what's going on. And if you wake up and figure out what's going on, they give you the option of uh, conforming or you go to the island where all the cool people are. <laughs> I know. Individuals. It, it sounded like, it, it, and I when I remembered that part, I said, you know, that's not that's not half bad. Obviously, uh, Helmholtz said, give me an island that has really poor yeah. weather conditions because I feel under that strain, I'll write better. But that's right. actually kind of a hu very humane thing to offer up to people. <laughs> well, well I, I hope there's some island where we can flee to when the technocratic order comes in. I mean. Um, you know, a lot of these uh, dystopian science fiction novels, and even ones that aren't really that dystopian, they have this notion of the breakaway civilization. I did a whole live stream on the history and theory of, you know, breakaway civilizations. It's in a lot of science fiction movies, too. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ayn Rand's, um, um, not Fountainhead. Uh, is it Fountainhead? I get it mixed up. And Rand stuff, yeah. Fountainhead. Uh, you have John. You have Galt's Gulch, which whereas which is where they you know, all the elite recede to when they let civilization collapse because you know civilization is basically caving into uh, total socialism in the Ayn Rand story. Hmm. And then you know we got movies like Interstellar. You have a breakaway civilization in Interstellar. So this is a common theme in a lot of science fiction novels. I just forgot that there was this breakaway island where you could go if you were cool. And they ask, uh, you know. <laughs> Because it turns out Mustafa Mond used to be a science uh, into true science, and he made too many true discoveries. And then they told him, "You can either go to the island and continue your true science uh, and live with the cool people, or you can become a world socialist controller." And he said, uh, "I opted for uh, being a controller rather than being a cool guy." He said, "But anybody who's anybody is on the island <laughs> or on the islands." I, it makes me wonder. I, I wish that we got a uh, a second book just about what was going on in the island, because because <laughs> right. that sounds. Well, like he said. I think in the introduction, there, uh, he said something like, "If I had redone," he said, "If I re I should have redone the novel where they had a lot of more options of freedom." He said that would have been better, because he said something like, "If the, the novel ends too dark." Yes, I mean we're getting to that, but let's get, let's get to chapter seventeen first, the second to last chapter. Uh, well, one last thing though, before we go to seventeen. Yeah. Did you notice the fake science? Oh yes, I actually... science is controlled, and he says, yeah, of course we we put out fake science because is it Helmholtz says, well, wait a minute, what do you mean there's fake science? Because you told us, uh, you know, in the hypnopedic uh, repetition mantras, we say science is everything, and he says, yeah, but that's the science that you 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 believe in. He's like, you don't know real science. Even says, science. We give you a bunch of fake science. <laughs> and the, you believe them. That's like, I'm thinking, okay, that's Neil deGrasse Tyson. That's, uh, you know, uh, all the science, Bill Nye, all Bill, those people. That's like the normal fake science. <laughs> At the top of the page, 225. Even science must sometimes be treated as a possible enemy. Yes, even science. I had I had uh, set that aside. And it's just, uh, it's incredible because, again, what is science? And, and who... well, he calls it orthodox and non-orthodox. So that's religious terminology, mm -hmm. right? And, and, so and, he's saying, think yeah. about COVID, or the COOF, excuse me, the COOF. What did everybody do with Fauci, right? Trust the science. Trust the science. Trust the science. He that's, personified. That's religious. He personified the science. He said, "I, I, if you deny me, science, yeah. if you deny me, you're denying the science. He was the law. He was science. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I can't think of any better example of mainline normie scientism versus true science which is you know we can argue what that is and who, who's discovering that but he talks about there being a religious scientific orthodox so scientism is, new, is the religion of the society basically yes that and the the uh you know rave orgies that they have 
the, the method. Yeah, okay, now in 17, I have the, the biggest note I have for myself right on top of the chapter heading is that one line that comes up maybe a, a page or two in, God in the safe, forward on the shelves. I mean, they, that was the, the big takeaway here. The sickness is, I love when they were going through, um, what, what was this that they were talking? Don't forget that uh, Mustafa Monday said they noted, by the way, is above the law. So he's not he's not bound by the laws everybody else is bound by. He can read Shakespeare in the Bible and do whatever he wants, right? Oh, and he, so the world social controllers have uh, immunity. And then another thing that was mentioned at the end of sixteen was that mass production, um, which came from monopoly capitalism, led uh, away from truth and beauty to ease and happiness. So this is another point where monopoly capitalism is what creates the. Uh, atmosphere in the situation that produces the uh, world socialist order. Yes, um, I, I didn't. I, I lost my spot as to where he actually said because it, it's not something that's implied. He said, you know, the laws are for people, but I choose not to. I can I can choose to break the laws if I want. Yeah. And uh, he has a lot of things, a, a lot of really interesting reading that is all squirreled away in his safe. And this yeah. is where we get into, of course, just. The, this this debate about God, God's existence. So here's one question I had for you and everybody in the audience out there. Does Mustafa Mann believe in God? Because it sounds like, it sounds like he does, does at least lean heavily in thinking that there is a, there is, believes there is a creator, there is a God. But as far as dealing with the, 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 the task at hand, which is managing this world, um, he, ha he has to live under a, a, a new set of. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. He talks like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like what he had said a few chapters earlier that there was a, he had been reading a, a, a paper that made a discovery that you know there might be purpose or telos or something something going on in science he said which he had which had to be banned because we can't have the people thinking that there's any power authority above the world state and so he says this basically the same thing when they have this argument about uh we, we can't have the people believing in god but he kind of hints like you know there might be one <laughs> there may there may be some of these things that i don't believe in he's like but we don't want anybody knowing that or thinking about that because that's the old order. That's the old way of doing things. And so he reads this lengthy quote from Cardinal Newman about age. And you remember in this society, they don't have old people. I, lo I love that. that. That's a wonderful excerpt, by the way, that they included in this book. About yeah, getting... that's because they don't want wise people, right? Age brings wisdom. And wisdom brings uh, reflection, contemplation. And like Cardinal Newman says, you're not as bound up with your passions when you're older you're able to focus and you're governed more by your reasons and reasoning and not by your passions and that allows you to reflect on the you know death the coming of death and uh you know the, the mortality of man and that leads people to think about god and he says we don't want people thinking that that's why everybody's kept young kept uh you know a slave to their passions and then uh by passions i don't mean uh, in the sense of like being passionate and in the orthodox theology slave to the passions just means slave to your vices so he says god is incompatible with machinery and happiness so you can either have a transhumanist technocratic society where everyone's happy or you believe in truth freedom free will aesthetics beauty god they all go together says um uh so do you think there is uh so do you think there is no god no, I think there quite possibly or probably is one. Then why? Mustafa Mann checked, but then he manifests himself in a. Uh, but he manifests himself in different ways to different men. To pre-modern times, he manifests himself as being uh, that's described in these books. Now, does he manifest himself now? Asked the savage. Well, he manifests himself as an absence, as though he weren't there at all. Well, that's your fault, he says. Call the fault of civilization. God isn't compatible with machinery and scientific medicine and universal happiness. So that that's just, uh, it's incredible for somebody to say, yes, well, God probably is there. There probably is a God. But uh, as far as what I have to do right now, God does not, uh, he doesn't really, um, he doesn't fit into our construction. And, yeah, and that's why he says that because if God exists, then humans have a soul and we're made in the image of God. 
and we have uh, natural innate inclinations. And that's what John the Savage says. Well, don't you think it's natural to believe in the existence of God? Don't we kind of have an innate belief and a tendency towards that? And he says, hmm, no, we got we can't go with that because that would mean that you're not a perfectly conditioned being. He says the reason people believe in God, I would say, is because of conditioning. And that's because he's expressing uh, the enlightenment tabula rasa view that man's a blank slate. He has no innate tendencies, beliefs, or anything stamped on his being. He's just a completely conditioned uh, being of, you know, operant conditioning, as the, the, the Pavlovians call it. So this is actually a section where he's echoing that Watsonian Pavlovian idea of operant conditioning, that all is uh, environment, all is uh, stimuli, and there's nothing innate in, a, in, in, in us, right, which is literally the attitude of those, uh, you know, those those uh, pioneering lunatics that were the, the founders of psychology. Uh, it also ties in really nicely to what what pops up a couple of pages later with the ideas of nobility and heroism, mm-hmm. because th- there's no other, th- there's no great. I mean, there's there are there are similar ones that people want uh, are noble for many reasons to in the defense of 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 those who are loved ones to us the innocent in society men defending uh women children whatever the hell it is uh nobility and heroism is a common element in humanity and especially nobility and heroism in the name of god and things that we uh we we see precious through the divinity of god and uh and to, and of course to get into the the minutia here of how he gets into what chastity means as far as passion and the controlled society never having any kind of conflict there never creating the need for nobility and heroism and i understand the the, the back and forth there where, where he's saying that um where Mustafa Mond and John are the savage are going at it, and he's saying, "Well, you know, if, if there's no war, if there is no crime, if there's no unhappiness, no nothing, there's no need for heroism and all that stuff. So why, uh, so, so so why want all of that pain, all that death, all of that that trouble, just to be able to have the opportunity to be noble and to be heroic? Which, of course, comes up, brings up an example of just how." Um, intricate, intricate, and and uh, chaotic it is to be a human being at times. And and toward the end of the novel, you have John just saying, "I reserve the right to be unhappy. I want to be. I want to be dangerous. I want to be. Uh, you know, I because rever- life doesn't happen in a controlled environment. It really is. What what are you getting out of it? Is based on how you are able to navigate through all these very chaotic conditions that we we always find ourselves and always had, and so I, I really enjoyed that exchange right there about nobility and heroism because that's the basis of every wonderful fairy tale and uh, and children's story we ever heard in our lives. And you you needed that dragon that had to be slayed, and they want to get rid of all the dragons. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, freedom is necessary, at least in the fallen world, uh, for the possibility of virtue and choosing virtue. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say that the fall was absolutely necessary for the good, because we have, in the, in the Garden of Eden, we have the existence of the good prior to the fall. But the fall definitely makes it possible to have uh, redeeming good uh, and multiple virtues that can be exemplified uh, as a result of something bad and that's you know kind of what we believe is divine providence that even though bad things happen they can always be turned to the good Uh, so that's one reason why this is kind of a chapter where we get a sort of a theodicy or discussion of theodicy theodicy is the problem of evil in relationship to theology or to god's existence so that that's this book's version or this chapter is dealing with that question and john the savage is coming to the conclusion that well we need these things because it's a better world and mustafa mon is just simply saying no we we don't want that world because i would rather have a world where we kind of create a false garden of eden where there's no there's no pain there's no uh struggle there's no none of that but it's not based around virtue it's based around technology so you know it's a very it's kind of a Return to Eden, but it's like a fake synthetic Eden based around, you know, <laughs> uh, mind control, drugs. And that's precisely where we are, right? What the 
the control mechanism of today's world mainly controls us through all of these things yeah. convenience uh lack of struggle struggle ease everything's going to be made easy oh you don't have to have a job will give you a base, uh, you know, universal basic income, and you can just lay in your coom pod and play video games and stare into the matrix all day long, and you can eat the bugs. And we're gonna, you know, it's a, it's this promise of, of utopia, but it's gonna be a complete dystopia. And and here and it, on that, here it is at two thirty eight at the top. Uh, there's always Soma to calm your anger, to reconcile uh, you to your enemies, to make you patient and long-suffering. In the past, you could only accomplish these things by making a great effort and after years of hard moral training. Now you swallow two or three half-gram tablets and there you are. Anybody can be virtuous now. You can carry at least half of your mortality about in a bottle. Christianity without tears. That's what Soma is. Exactly. I mean, it's just... Yeah, and that's, by the way, that's also a, a Crowleyan type of dictum. I keep seeing more and more subtle uh, Crowleyan ideas in the book, which I noticed that I had written Aeon of the Child uh, in 2015, last time I read it, but I didn't realize all the other subtle hints like Mustafa Mon being a PEDO hinted at, um, and then we get this, you know, Crowleyan dictum of uh, Christianity without tears, he says something like that, religion without tears, and, and my assumption would be that uh, Huxley is getting that from Crowley. Um, uh, right below that, I thought that there was something really funny and ironic. Right below the Christianity without tears, um, we have John the Savage says, but the tears are necessary. Don't you remember what Othello said? If after every tempest came such calms, may the winds blow till they have wakened to death. Um, there's a story one out of the old Indians used to tell us about a girl. Excuse me. I'm sorry. It's magic without tears. Go ahead. Magic without tears. That's uh, the curly phrase. The young men who wanted to marry her had to do a morning's hoeing in her garden. It, uh, it seemed easy, but there were flies and mosquitoes, magic ones. Most of the young men simply could not stand the biting and the stinging, but the one that could, he got the girl. Charming. But in civilized countries, said the controller, you have the girls without hoeing. Uh, you have to, you have girls without hoeing for them. And I thought that was really ironic since they're all hoes. Yeah. And I said, you, know, exactly. you, don't, you don't have to do any ho hoeing for them. It's a play on words. Yeah, he's, he's doing a play on words. But, it's but, funny. Yeah, you, you used to have to do something to to earn the woman, and he's saying, no, now you don't have to do anything. You everybody gets to have sex with everybody. By the way, I had it backwards. It's uh, Crowley wrote. Uh, magic without tears which is probably a reference to this so it was more so the other way around Crowley, Crowley probably was pulling that from Brave New World gotcha gotcha I gotta jump more into that I really do uh, actually the next the next page um, we have a little bit of a, uh, a a little bit of a nod to what the media does today uh, yep. a little bit of the purge violent passion Sarah VPS um, let's see here. There's a great deal. Men and women must have their adrenals stimulated. So he's talking about, yeah. Mustafa Man is talking about how they, they need to have their adrenal glands stimulated from time to time. And uh, it's one of the conditions of perfect health. That's why we made VPS treatments compulsory. That is violent passion surrogate. Regularly, once a month, we flood the whole system with adrenaline. It's the complete, uh, the complete physiological equivalent of fear and rage. We get that not only through, um, through pharmaceuticals, but everybody is dosed with it through media. Uh, I, I think that, that's what we're getting that right now. That's, that's, uh, that's the emergency broadcast system. It is, and it's just like in uh, 1984 when they have the two minutes of hate. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. You have two minutes where you scream at the bad guy that they've made up, you know, like the, the, you scream at Goldstein, the made up fake terrorist. Hey, the scream at the, uh, the visor screen. Yeah. So they, they make sure that you're actually doing it too. You can't hide yeah, from exactly. the visor. Yeah. You can't, you can't not. Exactly. But, so you're uh, in trouble if you don't do it. Yeah, you don't. Uh, now, Marx did Bernard uh, went, uh, obviously Helmholtz wanted to somewhere else, but uh, Bernard, he went off to an island, too. He had to be done away with. And with John the Savage, who at the end of Chapter 17 is just pretty much saying, I, I claim them all. I want to be unhappy. I, 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 mm -hmm. I have the right to all that. I want freedom. I want goodness. I want sin. And, mm -hmm. um, and he, 
in chapter 18, which is the final run here, he has inhabited an old lighthouse, and that is when um, is that that is when this really comes to a a fizzling, yep. kind of nightmarish end. This is really a nightmare at the end, and um, so he he sets up this hermitage inside of the lighthouse, and of course he has his seeds. He's planting a garden. He has a solitude. He has his self-flagellation every day. He's, he's a prepper. Yeah. <laughs> he becomes a prepper. He's a prepper. He's self-flagellating with the ropes and hitting himself, and he wants to he wants to sanctify himself, get right with God, and just be away from everybody else. But, of course, he is spotted. The media starts swarming around him. They come with the helicopters. They come with the, the tours. Everybody wants to see the savage doing the, the crazy farming thing. And... Um, and uh, and away we go. So what what do you got with this? What would you pick up? It's great that he becomes a media spectacle just because he's a uh, normal human, yeah. <laughs> right? The society is so crazy that the normal human becomes this media spectacle, right? Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of like uh, I mean I think the Doug remember the Duggars? I mean I think they were obviously they got in trouble for being kind of weird, but before anybody knew there was like weird sex stuff going on, the the Duggar family was weird because they had a bunch of kids. Right, that was the main reason they were a media spectacle. Which, go back a hundred years ago, that was that was normal, right? It was normal to have ten kids. Yep, yep. And, it, and, and I John think, the Savage is a spectacle like them. Yeah. What do they only? Have? What do they have? Eight? Or I don't, I don't or no, 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 no. That that was Kate plus eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or John well, and same, Kate. Same principle, right? Yeah. It's, you're so weird because you have a bunch of kids. When John and Kate you know, plus eight, I forgot, and, and they had some kind of a, of a bad. Bad they did too. Yeah, there was like a lawsuit there as well. Jeez, gosh. Well, well, here you go. Um, you, the savage has been found. They're starting to come and make a spectacle spectacle about him. He's kicking. Uh, I love when he starts actually attacking reporters, shooting arrows. Yeah, he kicks him in the coccyx. <laughs> yeah, in the coccyx, coccyx, and then uh, and then he shoots an arrow at a at a helicopter, and it, it, it and it pierces the helicopter, which I think is. A really a testament of his uh, of his craftsmanship of that bow. Yeah, I mean, right. Damn, man. So, um, but this is how I well, feel. He's like a warrior, right? Like he beat the shit out of the. Yeah. Yes. The uh, reporter. But what was it at the end? Um, that thing that really got me. We we had another name drop. We had Darwin Bonaparte. Yeah, not a great name. <laughs> Darwin Bonaparte as as the uh, the guy who broke the the broke the big story. Watched him from afar inside of a a bush or something just spied on him and then sent it into the the news media but um it's just it was called the savage the savage of surrey that had been released and could be seen heard and felt in every first class feely palace in western europe feelies <laughs> i can't take it anymore so it's like tabloids basically right yeah yeah but um and this is really really gets to me on page 255 this is where um, he, the savage retweeted, retreated toward the cover, now in the posture of an animal at bay, stood with his back to the wall of the lighthouse, staring from face to face in speechless horror like man out of his senses. From his stupor, he was aroused to more immediate sense of reality by the impact of his, uh, of his cheek, of a well-aimed packet of chewing gun, a, uh, a shock of startling pain, and he was brought awake, awake with fierce, fiercely, and fiercely angry so go away he starts going after he starts beating everybody and they're all just like hurrah hurrah they're asking him to whip to whip them they want to see the whip then they all start beating each other up because all they know is that he's attacking them then they start attacking each other they start chanting orgy porgy and it, it becomes so nice jay i'm telling you this is the way i feel when i'm on twitter most of the times when I when I'm in comment sections and I'm seeing people, I want to I want to punch every commenter sometimes. But then I realize you can't spend any time even even writing a reply. It is it's pointless. But when he realizes he he is just surrounded by completely um, out of their mind pre-programmed animals that that they're they're beating each other up and oh my god, kill it, kill it! The savage went on shouting. He started, what was that, Lenina that he attacked? Yeah, he beats Lenina. Jeez, man. Boy, so uh, he, he really runs it out of himself at the end. Yeah, it's weird. I guess it just shows that John the Savage kind of represents the problem for this society. Because if 
if the principles that he embodies are allowed to run free, then then as Mustafa Mon says, the society goes, this society goes nuts and will collapse. And so, uh, you know, you have this very dark dystopian ending where they uh, inject him with Sona, or, or they gas him, or whatever. With they, is it so the helicopters took flight, stupefied by the soma and exhausted by uh, frenzy of sensuality. So he ends up participating in the orgy porgy, and then when he wakes up out of his drug orgy experience. He has this tremendous amount of remorse and gives in to despair uh, and decides to, you know, commit S-U-I-C-I-D-E, which is ironically what he had told Mustafa Mont he wanted. He wanted that freedom. He wanted that ability to, you know, decide his own fate, decide this and that. Uh, but I think that, you know, he's he represents the old world and the end of the old world. Yes. And that's why Huxley had to have him as a character die. Uh, yeah, uh, the the suicide in the last couple of ch- uh, paragraphs, you knew it was coming because we're, we're, yeah. what, what sense can really be made of this? And you're going to spend the rest of your natural life as um, in the middle of this this waking nightmare. My question is: I, I understand there is a, a very creative and poetic reason for ending a book like this when logically you can say, well, why didn't he go to the Caribbean with a bunch of other people who are reading books and he could probably make friends over there and he would probably have a lot better uh, shot at, at some kind of normalcy and a new start somewhere on an, an island with good weather than sitting over there in a lighthouse in full view of this metropolis that you know is full of crazy genetically programmed goons. But um, like I said, it's it, it's a uh, it's a piece of literature that um, had to be wrapped up in one way or another, and hopelessness was hopelessness was the uh, the, the the final conclusion. Um, but I want to see what you think. Final thoughts on that, I, if you haven't already get, gotten them, and we'll go into what the audience is thinking then too. Uh, yeah, I think that it. To me, it speaks to, uh, it's not a novel that presents any happiness or hope. And, uh, you know, to me, that suggests just like 1984 has a similarly dismal ending that neither neither character really wanted to present any possible um, reaction against the New World Order. Perhaps, perhaps Orwell did. I mean, some people make that argument, but uh, I just don't know. Um, but I, I know that the books don't leave me with any hope. And I think that's part of the, you know, they might be mechanisms for conditioning people to think, oh, well, there's just no hope. And when I, you know, when I read the other Huxley books, you know, like there's perennial philosophy there, he calls for a new world religion where all the religions blend into one. Um, you've got doors of perception, right. Talking about LSD and all that. And then you've got the brothers who wrote his brother, Julian, who writes the philosophy of UNESCO coining the term, promoting the term transhumanism and then uh, I did find that other Julian Huxley book that I've got that I read many years ago. It's one of the global elite books. And here it's it's called Living Through a Revolution. And uh, the main point, the only reason this book is that relevant is that there's a the cha- the first chapter is called On Living in a Re- Revolution. And he's basically saying what we read in Brave New World, right? That we're undergoing a revolution that will lead us to a new world order that's the end of the the first chapter is that this new world order will be one in which there is a single world single world state right i mean he's literally says and uses the word new world order in the book right yep yep and that is a lesser known book by julian huxley on living through a revolution is that is that a first edition uh i don't know i just got it from a library sale years ago hmm. it's i don't think it's worth anything it's just a i just like the old binding yeah that's right it, it well, is the first edition it is yeah so there you go i mean it's well loved Although i'm sure it's not it's i don't think it's worth anything no it's it just it's just cool to have something like that i i have a i think i have a first edition uh farewell to arms by hemingway and it's not, uh, I mean, it's in not good shape, but it's just great to have yeah. something that old. There's a yeah, different yeah, energy about it. Printed in 1942. 
Um, I, the first comment I have over here is from KTJO. Says that ending. Wow, I had so much hope for John after the debate about God in chapter seventeen. I thought we would see John start to crack the brainwashing of the civilized world. I was blinded by the civilized world cracking John in the end. Uh, just such a depressing novel, and um, yeah. Well, here's a, here's another little more. Twenty six Ahab says, what's the point of truth or beauty or knowledge? This is the quote. What's the point of truth or beauty or knowledge when the anthrax bombs are popping all around you, end quote? Hmm, now where have I heard that recently? Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, incredible. Here, here's another one. Philosopher. A philosopher is a man who dreams of fewer things than there are in heaven and earth. So there's just people just pointing out things that they love. Here's another one. Here's a quote from uh, 26 Ahab again. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. Uh, but you don't do either, neither suffer nor oppose. You just abolish the slings and arrows. It's too easy, end quote. And that uh, he equated that to men can become pregnant, which <laughs> I think, I think yeah, there's, there's just so much here. But you see, the, th the whole thing with the men become pregnant stuff, it is such a, uh, that is a stepping stone. You know, you don't, you don't need any of that crap in, 20, the, the year 2500 in this book you don't need any of that crap you're talking about those are first or advanced phase but still advanced uh, first phase earlier compared to 25 the year 2500 uh, those are things that you do to a society when you just want to sever their connection to reality in the first place and then start introducing more transhumanist um, um, ideas so yeah I, I guess I guess looking in the, in the in the end result this is small beans the whole men can be women men can be pregnant but it was necessary necessary for this no doubt um, yeah it's a lot like 1984 too where you know the the words change meaning and Winston's basically in there you know updating and changing the words uh, at a whim, you know, the Ministry of Truth basically revises and, and contradicts itself all the time, and that's part of the the psychological warfare is to intentionally, you know, promote the contradictions. NJSF says, for me, chapters 16 and 17 were the most interesting as John confronts Mustafa Mond. It may just be me, but inadvertently or not, Huxley showed the only chance of miserable survival outside of such a world, the reservation. Not fully free, ignorant, but the, uh, ignorant, but the most free. Add to that keeping a modicum of knowledge, more isolation and captivity, capacity for defense. In these chapters, there are so many of the themes that we can identify with today's society and the elite's behavior come to light. Number one, the hidden message for the pebbles. Uh, own benefit, of course. The hidden message, the controller is well aware and has read Shakespeare, the Bible, even intrigued, but oh, no, no, not for the masses. They cannot handle it, would be unhappy. It is a charity that he is doing for them, actually. Rules for thee, not for me. The society is ignorant. Uh, ignorance is blissful, is fully realized in this. Um, here we have another quote. People are happy. They get what they want, and they never want what they can't get. Uh, population control, not in so far as absolute numbers, but rather as a pyramid-level ration. Um, mm -hmm. uh, both pure art and pure science are dangerous, so both have to be controlled and corrupted. Corruption of art by over-sexualization, over-violence, only the most primitive lizard brain emotions. Isn't that what Hollywood currently does? No doubt. Uh, here's another quote from the book. But that's the price we have to pay for stability. You've got to choose between happiness and what people used to call high art. So that, that Jay, that's what you had brought up in the in the opening yep. too, and but and then we talk about what sort of science, scientific training, so you can't judge. Now the real thing about science is, it was a scientific method. That that was the what we learned when we were in third, fourth, fifth grade or whatever. That was the basis of what what dictates di dictates science. There's no ideology that is baked into that. It is a method for testing certain ideas until you get a result that is repeatable. And even then, it doesn't become necessarily a fact. 
you have theories and whatever. Yeah. And uh, and here what you're seeing is that through the controlling of art and science, which is why government should not be involved in funding either, you actually don't have art and science. It's just like having law with selective enforcement of law. And uh, you don't have actually law in that respect. And that's that's another very indicative piece of uh, modern American life too. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I got to get into some of the other uh, Huxley texts that I haven't got to yet. Did you by the chance, there's Eilis in Gaza is pretty wild. He talks about demons and that, but did you by chance get to watch the Berkeley lectures? No, I did not. Yeah, we, we got to watch those too. Those are really insightful. I would, I, 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 I would love to. Uh, we can do a, I mean, we can do that on, on the seven o'clock show one night if you want. And just, yeah, and yeah do, I, uh, I sent the links too if you want to watch those. I remember, I, yeah, I have them set okay. aside, no doubt. Uh, we can do that um, because this has been so eye-opening, uh, especially the background I've gotten on the Huxley family from you and from the conversations yeah. we had on these sessions. All right, well, we got a, we got room for a couple more. It's 923. We're doing well. In Chapter 17, this is from uh, Ankosan. It says, in Chapter 17, as Mustafa Mann was speaking, it occurred to me that those who are created in these bottles may have been created as if they have no soul. Demonic as that is, in the last two days I have been listening to various presentations on death and the theme of separation of the soul from the body at the moment of death. All of this is pushing me to go back and delve into the subject again, because I think that may be heretical. I am an Orthodox Christian. Other thing I th realize at the end of the same chapter is that the savage, John, is the Christ archetype viewed through the eyes of the atheist Huxley. He is taking on the sins of the world. What do you think about that, Jay? Oh yeah, great analogy. I didn't even I didn't even realize that. In fact, I need to make a note of that. Yeah, that that is what he's doing. That's why he's. I mean, it's silly to whip yourself, but that's that's what probably you know Huxley would think of Christianity as, right? Oh, I've got to punish myself like Christ or something like that. But um, well, that first yeah, night, great point. That first night in the lighthouse. Uh, what did he do? I forget. I forget all the things that he put himself through. But he uh, he went through yeah. several several phases of seeking forgiveness, asking, praying, calling right. out to God, and then and then hold. I think holding his arms out into that crucifix position for as long as as it took him to like cramp up and fall down, whatever. Right. And I think after that first night near the lighthouse, I, uh, the 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 text read something along the lines of he felt he was worthy of entering at that point so what was the lighthouse was that going into limbo uh you know i i don't i don't know but it's it is a really uh, interesting analogy that ankasan brings up well there was uh earlier mentioning of the thomas akempis book imitation of christ and so he's trying to imitate christ and that's an older sort of roman catholic manual right uh mystical text where the idea is that you have to actually literally kind of reenact uh, things that Christ went to went through right so if you're not being whipped and beaten and all that is that was the idea that like the medieval flagellants uh, in the Latin West um, so there's a sort of uh, desire on the part I don't think that it's actually what we were supposed to do in Christianity but to the uh, commenters point that's the kind of thing that Huxley being you know basically an atheist that's what he probably thinks of Christianity as so that's why he's making John the Savage uh, uh, like Thomas Akempis's imitation of Christ so then I, I that would um, that would explain a little bit more NJSF has commented underneath this here too and said I like your thought of the imagery of John as the Christ archetype but I missed the message of salvation there is none in that respect exactly. in that respect it is truly satanic as in yeah. Christ defeated being defeated so exactly. but, but but to your point Jay uh, this could have just been an atheist's uh, projection as he was putting his book together you know Huxley him No I think it means both it's that and Christ defeated Christ will okay Ultimately, yeah, I mean, if you remember earlier, right? We have Mustafa Mon pictured as an inverted antichrist type of figure. Mm -hmm. Remember when he's like, "Let the children come unto me," in the, at the end of chapter two or three, right? Yep. And so we have this attempt uh, of the Christ-like character is John, and John ends up dead and defeated. The antichrist figure, Mustafa Mond, continues on and is is the controller of the world. So. Mustafa Ma is basically Antichrist having victory over the Christ-like character 
John the Savage. Um, Ali Q pointed out the end of chapter 17 when uh, John was claiming the right to be unhappy and to be uh, to, to be unhappy about test scores and get rid of all that stuff. Um, said this book alerts us to the sorry state that we are in. We need to be unhappy. Otherwise, we never truly understand what happiness is. And not only that, uh, Ali, I would say that Another thing that came up before and that I, I brought up in, uh, with, with Jay not too long ago was that whole idea of nobility and heroism. Uh, to be in, in, a, in a place where you are called into action to be to, to, uh, for a noble pursuit, to be a hero to someone who needs it. It doesn't have to be a gigantic, you know, you, it doesn't take much to be a hero to somebody. And you don't have to go fight off a gang of, uh, of attackers to be a hero either. It's very, you know, it's, uh, it's easy to be heroic. And um, that is something that we only, again, have an opportunity to do and to seize the moment when we are allowed to have life play out ahead of us and not have it to be so controlled down to every molecule that makes up a person, which is what they find themselves living in in this book. So, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I think that it's dismal. Uh, it's probably itself a version of psychological warfare, but it is important to read it so that we know uh, the kinds of thought processes that the elite have uh and we can see i think a lot of the weaknesses there because um you know that this this dystopia is going to collapse it's not going to work it's not it's anti-human it's it's unnatural um and i think that you see th you see throughout history the desire to create a world state all the way back to the tower of babel and it always it always fails so hmm. Um, uh, this will be the last one, uh, Casey Kakalaki. Uh, there's, there's a couple of other really great comments here that I have. We're not going to have time to get to, but and and really, I looked back at the other at the other threads, and you guys and gals have been uh, commenting and talking with each other and working things, and I love it. So that's why we set this up on the forum. So go ahead and um, and if you're listening to this even months down the road, when this this whole series is going to be made public then uh, it's just as relevant to you in 2027, if you're listening to this, as it is right now in 23. Go and jump into those threads and read what has been written and add some of your own. Casey says the following, some thoughts and questions. I read the whole book the first day I picked it up and it was, uh, and, and as the weeks went on in this book club, I became really glad that I, I only had to review. I don't know what I could have forced myself, to, uh, if I could have forced myself to keep going back to that world week after week. It burned and it stung and it knocked the wind out of me while I was reading it, so I figured I'd just swallow all the poison at once. The one thing about the last leg of the journey what, that seriously puzzled me, why did John take the handout and agreeing uh, the handout and agreeing to live in that lighthouse? Why did you have to do that, John? I was expecting and hoping that he would take either go back to the reservation or back to the wilderness of North America. But see, I, Casey and I were thinking the same way. When I realized that he was uh, but a stone's throw away from London, I knew that he'd never, they'd never leave him alone. The thing about getting psychopaths out of your life is that you have to go zero contact and make yourself uncontactable. As an aside, as Huxley subtly throwing shade at Native Americans when he wrote, uh, or was he throwing shade at Native Americans when he wrote that the savage accepted the free government housing which led to his demise, such as a little detail that stuck out to me. Yeah, Jay, you had brought that up. Yeah. Yeah, in previous yeah the reservation is an older model of uh, great society welfare control, and it puts you under control. And so uh, as for the motivations, I think John probably was uh, – overly confident in his own abilities he probably thought he could be a force for good and that maybe he could change things he could be a revolutionary force and i think that was his mistake was to not understand the reality of how bad things had become uh so that that would be my guess as to why he felt the need to try to remain on the outskirts of this dystopia and to try to change it and that's actually what leads to his demise she continues and says, as an aside, oh, wait, wait, uh, uh, I had a very hard time picturing the scenes from the final chapter. Did he succumb to the orgy-porgy ritual before hanging himself? Yes. But that's yeah. because he got he got sprayed down by the soma cloud. Um, mm -hmm. 
Is that why he did it? Because he committed the ultimate sin against himself or because he realized he'd never escape, that there was nowhere to escape? Um, it, definitely a lot of the, the, the no escape aspect. Um, yeah, I'm sure that he, well, he had just gone through all that cleansing rituals at, at, uh, at the lighthouse prior to being discovered to try to, to, to seek forgiveness for the world that he found himself in for however long. And then, of course, to get gassed and, and ha have gone through, uh, seemingly unconsciously, on autopilot, a drug-induced orgy. Yeah, I, I guess it all must have just been like, I, I, I can't take it anymore. So, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, he can t she, she, and she says, to be honest, the description of how they found him confused me all the way. I had to ask my mom what she thought it meant, and she said she had to look it up. That's how I found out he was supposedly, he supposedly hanged him. So, yeah, he was just swinging from east to west to southeast. That, that was just really it. Thank you, Frank and Jay, for taking this walk with us. I'll love you. I love you all, but I'm glad it's over. It's been real. It's been fun, but it ain't been real fun. Thanks again, guys. Casey. So... Absolutely. Are you thinking of doing a, um, another lit book? What's what's your next book? Uh, the next book I was going to do, um, I, I, maybe in June, I wanted to do uh, uh, de Tocqueville's Democracy in America, just because it's around the time of all the patriotic holidays, and I never actually read it. Um, but after that, I don't know, I, I think after that, I didn't have anything planned until, oh man, maybe October. And I wanted to read Mario Puzo's The Godfather. I oh, wanted, that'd be cool. Uh, if, hey, if you if you want to jump in on that, because I know that you you watch the movies, and I wanted to see how much. Yeah, I, I'm a big Godfather fan, and you know I put it in my books and all that, and I've done a lot of history of the of organized crime and the mafia podcasts. So um, I just did a whole three hour uh, Gladio, uh, CIA and Vatican and mafia podcast. So. Uh, I'd love to do that one. It'd be great. Have you ever read it, the original? I have not read the, the novel. Awesome, because me, me neither. So I'm I'm going to I I overdose on on the movies and uh, and I, I've read books about the making of the movies and all that stuff. So it's going to be great to actually get the source material. And Puzo wrote the screenplay with with Coppola. So yeah, I, I will. Uh, I'll I'll let you know when we start. That's going to be a fall time read, and I cannot wait to do it. So we'll do that together. Yeah, I'd love to. All right, man. Well, well, anything you want to leave everybody? Where are you going to be the next couple of days? And uh, and and this was a wonderful ride. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we just did. Uh, I mean, we've been turning out podcasts all week. We did um, multiple. I did an analysis of John Wick. I did a, a couple podcasts on Alien, PSYOP, Deception. Uh, we did a, a podcast making fun of Ben Affleck movies, but actually what we're doing in that podcast is going through and dissecting all the propaganda in Ben Affleck movies. So we went through Pearl Harbor, Argo, The Accountant, Dogma, um, which actually, believe it or not, have, have quite a bit of propaganda, especially Argo, which is, you know, about the CIA operation in the, the Iranian Revolution. So um, I did a whole podcast on um, Vatican, Mafia, intelligence agencies, which was the Paul Williams Gladio book, and then we covered uh, Committee of 300, the John Coleman book uh, yesterday. So we've been splitting them out, and then I've got a, you know, I've got some live events, which you go to my community tab or to my Twitter, you'll see the live event. I'll be doing an online salon lecture on uh, the Tabsog Institute. Uh, we have a live event June 3rd and 4th in Nashville, Tennessee. Big, huge event with a bunch of speakers, Owen, Schroyer, uh, you know, all, all those kinds of people so go uh, to my twitter and get tickets for all that damn uh, well, well jay thanks for everything man this has been a wonderful uh wonderful endeavor and we will do it again i'm sure now thanks for including me yeah i really enjoyed it no doubt no doubt no doubt we will and we'll talk about godfather 3 in particular at some point because it, 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 it yeah. ended up being uh the weakest link in the trilogy but there is a really awesome uh, especially the the whole the whole concept of the immobiliari and uh, and the Vatican, John Paul one the yep. the oh man the, the 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 assassination of a pope. It's great stuff. So we'll talk about that at some point. I'm sure it'll pop up in in November or, or October. Thanks again, man. I'll talk soon. Yes. All right. See ya later, ladies and gents. That's gonna be good. Now let, let me also just say. Yes, I'm, Chrissy Ann Hall said she wants to do Democracy in America with me, so we'll we'll do that in a couple of months. It's you know April, May, so maybe we'll start in mid 
mid-May or something. The Godfather, you got to be under, you, you have to understand something though. I don't want anybody complaining about how graphic and sexual it is. It's a pulp fiction novel. Well, it's a novel by a pulp fiction uh, novelist. You got to okay. So this is going to be, uh, it, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be very exciting. But I know enough about the book to just impart on to you that it's going to be a lot different than the things that we have read so far. I think it's going to be great. But uh, you've all been wonderful. Email me any, any of your thoughts. Get into that that thread and uh, enjoy yourselves and talk to other people. And you've been good. I'm looking at everybody in the chat room right now. Dwayne, Nancy, Jerry, uh, AQ, NJSF, Brightwheel, Lark. It's been great. Yes. All right, guys. Have a good one.